You see, there's always consequences to the things that we do in the spiritual realm, like whether it's, you know, diving into new age stuff or whatever. What we may not realize is that we're actually opening a, opening a doorway. And uh, for me, I mean, that was from from birth. You know, there was a, a, a tie, a spiritual link to Buddhism right there from birth. And it kind of opened up when I was taking religious studies. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, if this podcast has touched your heart, would you prayerfully consider supporting us financially to keep bringing you stories of lives transformed? For more information on how you can do that, go to discipleofcity.ca and click on Donate and find the Toddcast link there. And to learn more about our ministry, or if you have questions, you can email us at information at discipleofcity.ca. My guest today is joining us from the Waterloo area in southwestern Ontario. He was a senior pastor, but felt called to something different. And at a meeting in Manila, he met an E3 leader and ended up working part-time for that ministry, as well as becoming a teaching pastor. And he would then become an apostolic leader and a vision catalyst for E3 ministries and begin to travel the world associated with the Church Multiplication Coalition. Please welcome James Park. Hey, hey, hey. It is, uh, it's so good to be uh, with you, Todd. This is awesome. Yeah, it's great to connect with you, brother. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, yet we've kind of been almost to the same, well, not really the same place, but the same kind of area. Oh, yeah, the Arctic North, right? Yeah, yeah. which we'd like yeah. to talk about. Um, but uh, now we had our, our Toddcast staff dig and find out some of the history about you so i hope that's accurate or i, or I might oh yeah to... that you guys did awesome oh, okay that good was, uh, that was perfect just in case i needed <laughs> to have some discussions with some of the staff <laughs> <laughs> so james man uh take us back to the beginning just before all that before because like how do you become a senior pastor and just what was your life like before all that oh man um okay so i grew up in a um non-christian home so my parents were buddhist actually when they uh, first immigrated from south korea um but you know it's it's interesting when my mom was pregnant with me she had a dream actually she had kind of a like a vision in her dream that i had to be raised in a church and so uh my mom told my father like hey uh i had this dream we got to raise our son in a church and so they started attending church, even though they were Buddhist background into new agey type stuff. But uh, they they went to church uh, as a result of this vision that my mom had. Um, you know, a number of years go by. We went to church pretty faithfully. And she eventually came to the Lord and just God uh, filled her with his Holy Spirit. She had this um, anointing for intercession. She began to pray and um, eventually, you know, one by one, her family members started coming to the Lord. And um, the first one, I guess, would have been uh, my brother, my younger brother. He came to the Lord. And then it was me. So this was like many years later after, you know, faithfully praying and seeking the Lord that uh, finally God got a hold of me. And... Um, that's a whole story of its own as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, 
I got saved. I started to uh, serve the Lord in various ministries, uh, youth ministry, young adult ministry, and then eventually uh, God called me to lead a church here in Waterloo. So, yeah, that's a, so. Let's dig into that a little bit. A story into itself of how you came. Well, first of all, when your when your parents came here. And uh, I don't really know a whole heap about Buddhism, but when they came here, would, were they were they first uh, like involved in Buddhism here, or did they find like place to go for that here, and then had that dream, or is that kind of how that worked out? So, um, generally speaking, the Korean population um, they're Buddhist by culture. So, in some ways, I guess. In North America, it was like that. You know, people would say, oh, yeah, I'm Christian, even though they may not actually follow or, you know, go to church regularly. It's a part of the culture. Um, you know, in some countries in the world, Catholicism is like the culture. And so people would identify themselves as Catholic, even though they may not believe or attend church at all. Well, that's kind of like how my parents were with Buddhism. So um, they would go to temple once in a blue moon kind of thing. Um, but when I was, um, when I was, uh, born, uh, they, because my mom had this vision, uh, they just went to a Korean church that met in Toronto. Um, and for them, this was significant because, you know, coming from Korea and being in a foreign country, going to church was like being home because everyone was Korean, um, after services, they would have a communal meal every Sunday. That's one of the cool things about Korean churches. Uh, usually there's a lunch served afterwards and there's fellowship. So it's kind of like being home. And so really that community aspect uh, was was very important for my parents. And so they didn't go to temple here. Um, they, they went to a church. Um, but their faith system, uh, so like it was still stuck in that Buddhist cultural paradigm, uh, even though they were attending church, they were still in that paradigm until eventually my mom uh, came to know Jesus. She gave her life to the Lord and was radically saved. Um, and that's what began the change for our family. That's awesome. So let's, yeah. let's dive into your change. What, what happened? You can't, brush over that that quick <laughs> bro let's talk about that what happened or what what led up to it or just give us some yeah okay so um when i was in high school i started getting involved in uh drugs um i got connected with some dealers and it became a lifestyle so i was hanging around drug dealers getting into trouble with the law violent stuff happening. Um, we weren't a gang per se. Like we didn't have like a title, like anything like that, but we very much operated like a gang. Um, a bunch of Asian guys here in, in, in Mississauga actually. And um, yeah, we got into fights a lot and that was my lifestyle for a while, you know, late high school and then going into university um, one day I was, uh, in Kitchener. So I, I had moved to Kitchener from Mississauga, uh, for school. I somehow got into the university of Waterloo by a miracle, even though I was, you know, getting involved in drugs and all that. Um, but I got into the university of Waterloo 
And um, things started to really fall apart in my life. I um, was getting in trouble with the law. Like I had charges on my life. Um, I had debts to dealers, thousands of dollars. Um, and I just remember thinking this one day, like, man, this this can't be my life. Like, I don't want this to be the story of my life. And if there's a God, I really could use his help right now. That was kind of the thought process that was going on in my mind. And I think that was a result of my mom's prayers because she's been praying for me, you know, for over 10 years at this point. So um, one day, so that when I had that thought in my mind, all of a sudden, I heard a voice and I just, it was in my thoughts, right? But I knew it wasn't my thought. I knew it was the Lord. And God spoke to me and he said, pray. It was that one word, pray. And I remember in that moment thinking that was not my thought. That came out of nowhere. That was God. I need to get down on my knees and pray right now. So I I, I got down on my knees in my apartment in Kitchener and I didn't know what to say because I've never prayed before. So that that was my prayer. God, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that was my prayer. It's an honest prayer. And, yeah. And all of a sudden in that moment, the Holy Spirit came over me. And it was like probably the greatest feeling I have ever experienced from all the drugs that I was taking. Um, I was chasing a high, like I was chasing peace. I was chasing freedom, chasing joy. Those are things that I was chasing every time I was getting high. And this experience was, I remember in that moment thinking, this is the greatest feeling I've ever felt in my life. I can't describe it other than a blast of love. You know, it's just everything my soul craved, I was receiving it. And I'm like, man, this is powerful. And in that moment, I saw all my sin flashing in my mind. And it was like just all the things that I was doing wrong. And for the first time ever in my life, I felt guilty for my sin. Like prior to this experience, I never felt guilt. I felt entitled to do and be what I wanted to be, feel, you know, do whatever I wanted to do. But in that moment, I realized, oh, that was sin. That was wrong. And I remember weeping, just weeping under the weight of my sin. And um, the feeling I was having, it was like I was being cleansed by this love. And again, I was just so overwhelmed that I was weeping, weeping. And the Lord spoke to me again and he said, James, everything is going to be okay. And right there, right then and there, my prayer became, Lord, show me the way. A five-word prayer, Lord, show me the way. And it's like after that moment, it's like I snapped out of a trance. I was like, what just happened to me? Like, that was powerful. I'm like wiping my tears. Like, why was I crying? Like, this was such a powerful encounter with God. I need to dedicate the rest of my life to figuring out what just happened to me. And so what I did was I enrolled at the University of Waterloo in uh, into uh, religious studies because I was like, man, this was a religious experience, a spiritual experience. <laughs> I got to, this is what I got to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to figure it out. What, what had so, you been taking? I was in science. So I was in a program called pre-optometry, um, pre-med. 
which uh, that was not my desire to be in the medical field at all. It was, it's a Korean thing. You know, Korean parents are like drilling into their kids from a young age. You got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer. And so uh, it was really for my parents that I came to the University of Waterloo for that program. Um, but after this encounter, I was like, this is, I got to dedicate my life to this. And so I started taking classes in religion. And it was when I started taking courses on Eastern uh, religions, like Buddhism, that something kind of activated in my soul. And here, here's the thing that um, I need to mention, Todd, is that when I was born, even though my mom had this vision of, uh, you know, raising me in a church, again, because they were culturally Buddhist, they still went to a Buddhist monk. And uh, it's kind of like a baby dedication that you would do in the church world. That's what they did with me in the Buddhist world. And a Buddhist monk gave me my name um, and did whatever rituals and, you know, that they do. And so that spiritual act that they did as when I was a baby became activated when I started taking religious studies. You see, there's always consequences to the things that we do in the spiritual realm, like whether it's, you know, diving into new age stuff or whatever. What we may not realize is that we're actually opening a, opening a doorway. And uh, for me, I mean, that was from from birth. You know, there was a, a, a tie, a spiritual link to Buddhism right there from birth. And it kind of opened up when I was taking religious studies. So then I, I started learning about Buddhism and I was like, OK, well, I want to. I want a fusion religion of like Buddhism and Christianity. That's what I'm going to do here. And so I tried to merge Jesus and the Buddha and the eightfold path with, you know, the 10 commandments or whatever. I just was going in a weird direction like that, but I thought I was onto something, you know, maybe I'm going to create my own religion or something. And um, the more I went down that path, the emptier I felt. And the emptier I felt, the more despair I experienced in my life because I was constantly wrestling with the questions, who am I and why am I here? And the more I went down the path of this Buddhified Christianity or whatever you call it, the more I could not answer those questions. And it became um, like a dark black hole for me. And it spun me into depression, uh, which then, you know, thrust me right back into addictions. And I was getting into all sorts of different drugs, um, psychedelics, all sorts of things. And that made that despair and depression like 10 times worse. Because then I was falling into paranoia, fear, hearing voices and just wanting to die. And it was just a real black hole, so to speak, a very negative place uh that i was there like a like a cloud was over me one day i was at a coffee shop and i had just finished smoking a joint with a friend we were blasted out of my our minds just sitting there in a coffee shop in waterloo and a homeless guy walks up to me and he said god sent me to tell you that you're running away from him Wow. And he wants you to come back. And I remember in that moment thinking, how in the world did he know this? 
Like any other time in my life, if I would have seen a homeless guy come up to me and say anything, I would have maybe given him a $2 and said, go buy yourself a coffee. Just leave me alone. Right. But I mean, he was reading my mail. That's exactly where I was at. And so he, he could tell I was high. And so he said, meet me here tomorrow, same coffee shop. And, um, I want to tell you about Jesus. I was like, okay, well, I grew up going to church. I know about Jesus. Um, but there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and getting to know the, the real person of Jesus in your life. And so the next day I came to that same coffee shop, met with that homeless guy. And he shared the simple gospel with me. Something again, that I've heard before because I went to church, but it was, it became more than a story in a book with a character on the pages of the book. It it became real. And Jesus became a real person to me. And I was like, I I just, in that moment was like, I, I know I need Jesus. There's nothing else. I've been searching my whole life, you know, for peace, for joy, for fulfillment, for my identity, for my purpose. I've been searching. I couldn't find it. This is it. And so I gave my life to Jesus. And in that moment, everything changed. When this homeless guy led me to Jesus, everything, everything changed. My life was totally transformed. I was set free from my addictions and I was on fire for Jesus, like fire, you know? And uh, I, I just, I couldn't stop reading the word of God. I remember I would spend hours and hours in the word and just, man, the pages, it, it, you know, the, the word of God is the only book that it's, it's not just a book that you read. It reads you, Yeah, you know, and I remember just reading and going through the word of God and just being fed and coming to realize this is who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. And it began to really transform me from the inside out. And, um, it was through that process, um, that I began to discern a call from the Lord um, to see others experience what I had just experienced. And I knew right there, I was like, this is what I want to do, Lord, for the rest of my life. I want to introduce people to you because you can trans, if you could transform me, you could transform anybody. And so, yeah, that that's basically how I came to the Lord and received that call to follow Jesus. Man, that is really fascinating to me, right? Because as you know, there's so many ministries and people that are dedicated and have a heart for the homeless to go out to reach the homeless and bring Christ. And I don't know about you, but I've talked to several homeless people who know more, like know lots of scripture, right? Or they grew up in it and stuff like that. But anyways, it's just kind of fascinating that as there's all these ministries reaching the homeless that a homeless person reached you right and led you to the lord like that's really that's really unique and really really cool to me anyway (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean i remember in that moment thinking man this is weird like um and i got to know this guy his name was carlos and he would like we would meet regularly even after he led me to the lord and I, and I remember asking him, I was like, well, why do you, why are you homeless? And he's, and he felt like it was God's calling on his life um, to live completely by faith. And I remember thinking, man, that's, I mean, that's so extreme, but I, 
I loved his dedication. And I think that really spoke to me that he was willing to live completely by faith. And, you know, and it wasn't like he was always living on the street or even parks or something like, or anything like that. Actually, the Lord would provide um, places for him to stay for a season. And then he would go to another place and another place. And so I would see this, you know, how God would provide for this man and how like God took care of him. And I'm like, wow, that is fascinating. And I want to live my life like that. You know, I remember being really encouraged by that and inspired by that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously then you go down the road, you want to give your, your life and pursue this full time. So you become senior pastor at a church in Waterloo. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of stories with that too, but, but, uh, let's jump ahead to what, what brought you to Manila? All right. And then what brought you to meeting our man, Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. So I was at this point, um, five years into my pastorate at a church in Waterloo. Amazing church, by the way, very supportive. Um, you know, I was a young senior pastor. This was like, I had no experience being a lead pastor prior, but they, they took a shot on me and, uh, really gave me the opportunity to grow as a minister. Um, and it was a great, awesome church. I was just in a place where I'm like, man, I, I need to be among lost people. I need to be among those who don't know Jesus. I, I remember wrestling with that. I'm like, God, I love the church. I really do. But to spend most of my time ministering to those who already know Jesus, for me, was a difficult thing to just run towards and stay in because I, my heart is really for the lost. And so, um, I was very open with the the church board at the time, like, Hey, I'm wrestling with these thoughts and maybe God's calling me to missions or maybe it just even a mission trip. And so the church graciously gave me, um, a sabbatical and they supported the sabbatical. They supported me to go on a mission trip. And so, uh, I went to the Philippines on a mission trip with a ministry called Awake Nations with um, a guy by the name of Glenn Blakeney. He's one of my mentors. Um, you know, he travels all over the world ministering and and I, I would follow him online. I'm like, man, I want to do what he does. You know, he's seeing all these lost people come to Jesus. And um, I messaged him and he's like, yeah, come, come to Manila with us. And so... That's that's how I went to Manila. Uh, but we actually flew from Manila to an island called Palawan and uh, did some ministry in remote villages on this island of Palawan, which is a beautiful place, by the way. And we were in this one small town. Uh, no evangelical presence. They've never had an ev- evangelical church planted in this town at all. And there was a few hundred people at this gospel crusade. And a lot of them were kids, actually. There were a lot of under 15, okay, were at this crusade. And I remember during the altar call for people to accept Jesus, all these young kids started to come forward, and God was touching them. And they were 
bawling their eyes out, giving their lives to Jesus. And I remember thinking, these are kids. This is a move of God. This is amazing. You know? And in that moment, I was like, okay, God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to die doing this. Um, and so it was in that moment I got the vision of, okay, I want, I want to serve the Lord this way. So, um, after our time in Palawan, the team went back to Manila. And while I was there, Jeremy Dorton, the director of E3 Ministries Canada, messages me on Facebook because he saw all the pictures that I was taking and it looked like the Philippines. And actually, I, I mentioned I was in the Philippines. So he was like, Hey, are you still in the Philippines? And I messaged him back. Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm in Manila. He's like, so am I. I'm like, what? Really? He's like, well, where are you? And I told him I was at this place called the Mall of Asia. And he's like, I'll see you there in 20 minutes. <laughs> and so, yeah, he takes a, a cab over to the Mall of Asia and we end up having dinner together. You know, E3 Ministries Canada director and myself in Manila, Philippines. Like, what are the chances of that, right? And he began to tell me all about E3, how E3 is a ministry that equips every believer to be a soul winner, you know, equipping the, the saints to evangelize God's world and to establish reproducing, multiplying churches all over the world until there's no place left to go. And I was like, I love that vision. And I had just said to the Lord a couple days prior in Palawan that I want to I want to serve you this way for the rest of my life. And then here, here, here we are in Manila and the door is right there. This is the door, right? And um, so that's how I got introduced to E3. That's how I met uh, Jeremy Dorton. Although I met him in Kitchener before, this is when I, you know, really got to know Jeremy in Manila, got to know the ministry and I was like, I'm in. And so that's how I um, started with E3. So what did you, did you then, uh, you became part-time with E3 then and, and you dropped the role of senior pastor in Waterloo after the sabbatical? Yeah. So then uh, in 2019, I, um, I uh, stepped away from my role as the senior pastor. And so that was at the end of 2019. And I started my journey of being uh, a missionary with um, E3 Ministries Canada and I mean, what timing, January 2020, to start uh, traveling and doing God's work around the world. Great well, time. It was three months later that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything shut down. Right? Yeah. Um, but again, it was all a part of God's plan in preparing me for the season I am in right now. But just to go back to 2020. While I was uh, making this transition over to E3, another church in the Waterloo region approached me and asked me if I would consider taking a part-time role as their outreach director um, to help the church go outside the walls. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds just about right. And, you know, I'm on a support raising journey with E3 and that'll take some time. And so this would, this would be a great way to kind of, um, you know, make that transition from full time, uh, pastoring to, to becoming a, you know, a, a missionary with E3. 
And so I took that position as well. But when COVID hit, um, I mean, everything shut down. Uh, half of my support just boom, vanished. And um, I was serving at the church and we had to figure out how do we do church in this climate? Like, how do we, how do we do this? How do we reach out? How do we stay connected? Zoom, online, you know, we were figuring all this out. And so um, timing wise, it was great for the church and myself um, to go through that season together. And so from 2020 till 2022, I was kind of juggling these two roles of, uh, you know, pastoring part-time at the church while um, moving into apostolic ministry with E3. And um, yeah, so for about two years, you know, navigating that COVID season, which all of us had to go through. And uh, I'm convinced that that season was a preparation for the entire body of Christ for what God is releasing right now. And um, at the end of 2022 is when the Lord uh, really began to speak to me. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. About going full time uh, with E3. And so um, that's where I'm at now. Actually, I am full time with E3 Ministries Canada and um, God has me going all over the place. And so it's it's neat. Yeah. Uh, Apostolic leader. Can you just, uh, for those listening who might not, that's not really a term that's thrown around a lot, like evangelist and pastor and stuff like that, teacher. Can you just explain a little bit of what an apostolic leader is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So in a, I would say in a nutshell, an apostolic leader is a vision-casting pioneer. So they're called to go to the people and places where Jesus is not known to make him known and to help the church move in a new direction. Um, you know, for a long, long season. Okay. Let me, let me backtrack a bit. So in the body of Christ, we had seasons where, you know, God was doing big things and I believe he was preparing the whole world for what we're about to enter into now. So when we look back, you know, Jesus revolution came out recently, right? I mean, we all have heard about the Jesus people movement where the spirit of God moved. It was a really powerful move of God that happened uh, in the sixties and seventies. You know, God did a powerful thing. And out of that, we had these big evangelists that came up Um, whether it's Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, you know, all these big, big, you know, big stadium events and massive amounts of people are coming to the Lord. And, and so now all these people are, are going to need to be discipled. And so the Lord, um, there was, there was a real emphasis on the shepherding and the teaching ministries because all these new believers were coming into the kingdom. They needed to be shepherded. They needed to be taught the word of God. And so churches focus very heavily on that. You know, the shepherd teacher model is really, uh, the, the predominant model of the, the local church. 
Um, all our Bible colleges are set up that way. We learn how to navigate the scriptures. We learn how to shepherd people. But when it comes to evangelism, uh, the evangelistic ministry, the prophetic ministry, the apostolic ministry, it's kind of been, okay, let's just put those on the shelf for a little bit because there's this big need of shepherding and teaching these, you know, this massive flock of new sheep. And so for like 50 years, we've, we've seen the shepherding teaching roles taking front and center in the body of Christ. Well, now we're in a season where um, God's doing something new again. And we're seeing kind of like another Jesus movement, actually, where, again, a, a move of his spirit is coming. New believers are going to be coming in droves again. Um, but this is where the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic ministries are going to come front and center again. And so the apostolic function is uh, really pointing the body of Christ in this new direction, uh, saying, hey, guys, we're pointed this way, but God's moving us this way. And so very simply put, I would say that's, you know, in simple terms, that's the function of the apostolic minister to vision cast, um, to pioneer uh, new things, new works, so that those who don't know Jesus yet can be made known and the body of Christ can come together. And so essentially that's apostolic work. Yeah. So now in that, um, what's your connection with the church multiplication coalition? What, 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 uh, in a nutshell, what do they do and how are you partnered with them? Yeah. So church multiplication coalition is a ministry, uh, that was birthed, um, I think in the early two thousands, by an E3 missionary. Um, this man, Jonathan Morris, he was actually a part of the Jesus movement in Southern California. He was mentored by John Wimber. He was friends with Lonnie Frisbee. Um, he continues to uh, meet with uh, and minister with uh, John Rutke, who was Lonnie's best friend. Um, anyways, so Jonathan Morris, this guy who, you know, came out of the Jesus people, uh, vineyard churches, um, you know, he had a vision. So eventually he became an E3, uh, missionary as well. He had a vision of, um, gathering pastors and local leaders together in different parts of the world and training and equipping them to reach the last remaining unreached people groups in their regions. And so in order to do that, it's going to take more than a Reinhard Bonnke or a Billy Graham. You, you can't just have one person or one ministry. You really need the entire body of Christ to be on board, to have unity, to go after that big vision together, share resources, you know, aggressive disciples, making disciples um, kind of model. And he was like, this is something that um, he needed to do in in parallel with his work with E3. So he started Church Multiplication Coalition, which again is just a, um, a ministry that gathers pastors together all over the world. So when um, E3 goes to Philippines, for instance, uh, we we work with Church Multiplication Coalition in the Philippines. And um, 
we're we're really like a brother and sister organization, kind of like E3 and Disciple of City. Like we work together, we're you know we're partners together, uh, we share resources together, just like that. CMC and E3 have that kind of partnership. And so uh, I met Jonathan in the Philippines the second time I went to the Philippines. And um, I was one of the plenary session speakers at the CMC or Church Multiplication Coalition conference in uh, the Philippines. And yeah, we just connected really well. Uh, we stayed connected after that. And he invited me to um, go to Ethiopia, uh, Dubai, and actually I'm going to be seeing him at the end of this week in L.A. And what he's doing is he's forming this legacy group that's going to carry carry on the ministry of church multiplication coalition to the next generation. And, um, he's seeing me as one of those people that, um, will, will carry this work forward. I mean, he's 72. He's, um, he's thinking, you know, maybe there's a good five to 10 years of traveling ministry left in his life. And so, um, you know, it's prudent for him to look at a succession plan and so, yeah, I guess I'm part of that plan with uh, CMC. Awesome. Awesome. And you, like me, have been blessed to get to know uh, Bill Prankert and Jacob Walda and uh, and uh, go partner with them and, and take some trips up to Nunavut. Um, yeah. Can you just uh, just tell us real quick a little story about where you just were and how many times you've been there? Yeah. Um, so I was just in Cape Dorset, Nunavut or Kingait. Um, we were there for about a week, uh, just over March break. And, um, I think this is, that was my second time in Cape Dorset. Um, but third time in Iqaluit. So our team tried to go to Cape Dorset last October, but a blizzard came in and completely grounded all flights we actually never made it to Cape Dorset, um, but we were able to connect with a church in Iqaluit. We did uh, the 411 or the, um, you know, the gospel conversations training with a few members of that church. Um, and then um, uh, I went up again in February. Uh, this th- That time it was just with uh, just myself and Travis, who is another um, leader uh, leading trips to the North through Bill Prankert Evangelistic Association. We had just gone up to kind of, uh, set things up for the team that was to come in March. Um, because in Cape Dorset, it's kind of, uh, sad yet interesting how God's using this. So there were three churches, three church buildings in Cape Dorset. Two of them were burned down by an arsonist and they almost got to the third church, but never uh, was successful in burning the third church down. Thank the Lord. Um, but those two churches, uh, they they are unable to meet in their buildings. And so the one church building that's left, they all meet together as one church now in that building. And so it's a tragedy what happened, but... God's using it to bring unity uh, in the body of Christ in Cape Dorset. And so when we were there, 
just this past week, we, you know, part of my role again, being a vision caster was like, Hey, look, um, what happened was terrible in the community, but you guys are together and you're united and where there's unity, there's blessing where there's unity. Like God can do anything through God's, his people united. Um, you know, Genesis 11 people all spoke in one language. They had, you know, one form of communication with each other. They were united and they were able to, you know, they had this idea to build a tower and God said, Oh man, if they come together in agreement, they can achieve anything they think of. Right. And so unity is a big deal. And you guys are now together united. I think this entire hamlet of Kingite or Cape Dorset is going to be totally transformed. And the only way to reach all 1,500 people in this community is if the church is united. So we were able to cast vision, equip them with tools uh, to, um, you know, engage the community. We also had services in the evenings where God just, man, poured out his spirit so powerfully among the congregation. And uh, we were seeing young kids again. It's Maybe it's a common thing that I've been seeing, but young kids, again, getting completely saturated by the presence of God, weeping, giving their lives to Jesus. Um, such a powerful thing to see. And we were seeing that uh, in, in Cape Dorset. And so very exciting what God is doing in Nunavut. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Two, two quick questions for you, bro, because uh, I know you got some other engagements you got to get going to. Uh, you talked about your younger brother and your mom that had come to faith. What about your dad? Oh, yeah, he he did come to faith. Um, he became uh, so he's changed. He changed a lot. He was a veteran from uh, the Vietnam War. My dad was very angry growing up. I remember being afraid of my dad. Uh, we didn't have the greatest relationship. I was I was scared of my dad um, growing up. I didn't see him much either because he was working so much. Um, he was a businessman. He owned, you know, several businesses like convenience stores, dry cleaners, and he was also a real estate agent. And so he was so busy. Um, but he was doing all that to provide for the family. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't see him much and I was afraid of him, but after he came to the Lord, man, he was totally changed. And now we're like, friends like we call each other often we it's just amazing uh our relationship now and so yeah my my whole family god did uh, an amazing work with my family that's so good that's mm-hmm. so good man yeah james thanks thanks for taking some time and talking to us and sharing uh sharing your life with us and these stories it's really good really appreciate it yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. It's uh, it's an honor to to be on the podcast. <laughs> Amen, <laughs> James. Final question for you, man. Sure. Uh, you've been to um, the Philippines. You've been to Nunavut. You've been to Ethiopia. You've been to Saudi Arabia. What is the biggest miracle that you've seen? That if you told all kinds of people about it, you would see in their eyes that they don't believe you. Um, well, there's many different miracles. I was in Colombia and, uh, here, here's the amazing thing about the ministry that, that God's given me to do when I minister in a church or in a conference, I'm rarely the one praying for people because it's all about activating and equipping the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. 
So I was in Columbia. I did a, a training on healing. And um, I was in this church, about 100 people. And a lady comes running into the church because she saw while she was watching online. And, you know, when she found out that it was a healing service, she ran to the church and she had brought some papers with her. And um, during the activation time, again, it wasn't me praying for her. Um, All of a sudden I see this lady, she's like, ecstatic, like jumping up and down, saying, I'm healed, I'm healed. And so we're like, what happened? Well, the whole church knows about her condition as well, because they've been praying for her. She had a very rare condition where she had all these tumors growing on her body. And she had a lemon sized tumor under her armpit here. And uh, it was like a, a hormonal disorder and uh, doctors could not figure out a way to you know, treat her. And so um, during prayer, the um, again, the church was coming around her, uh, praying. Actually, one, my uh, translator, one of my translators was the one praying for her. And the tumor shrank in half. And so she, she was feeling around. She's like, oh, whoa, it was like the size of a lemon. It's now half that size. Can we? And the lady's like, that's amazing. Can we pray again? Because I think it could be totally gone. And so, you know, they pray for her a second time and the tumor completely disappeared. And she was just over the moon, filled with joy. And the whole church, again, because they were like praying for this lady. They saw this and the faith, the level of faith went from like, it was already high to like through the roof. And um, at that point, I just had an altar call. And it was like, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon each and every one of you here. Come to the front. Everyone came to the front and the Spirit moved powerfully. And we had revival in that service. It was so powerful. That was probably one of my most uh, memorable ones. But there's so many, Todd. Like I'm seeing God doing similar things in Ethiopia. We saw God doing similar things. Um, So where was I? Dubai, Thailand, um, you know, in Nunavut right? The Spirit of God doing really the same thing. And so God's moving. There's really a move of the Spirit happening all over the world right now. This is a season that we've been praying for, that the body of Christ has been seeking and praying for. Um, I really believe we are in a season where it's like the last great awakening before the return of Christ. And so we got to buckle our seatbelts and get ready for something awesome. Amen. Bless you, man. Amen. Bless you. Thanks, Todd.